welcome to the Independent Advisors Podcast, where we dive into the world of stocks, tradable markets, and financial planning with Jessup Wealth Management's Chief Investment Officer, Mark McEvely, and CEO, Matt Jessup. You'll hear tips, tricks, and strategies to address your financial well-being, and most importantly, conveyed in a way that everyone can understand. Here are your hosts, Mark and Matt. Hey everyone, welcome to the 14th episode of the Independent Advisors Podcast, where Matt Jessup and I, Mark McEvely, bring you everything you need to know from the past week in the world of financial markets and financial planning. So good morning to you, Matt. Good morning, Mark. It's been an interesting week, hasn't it? Yeah, it has been. Uh, impeachment talks in the air. Um, rumor after rumor, U.S.-China trade. Yeah, back and forth, the seesaw, back on good China trade news and bad China trade news. It's like so. a Wall Street soap opera. <laughs> it really is. It really is. So um, we'll have a decent amount to talk about today, but um, as always, just want to start by going over the performance of the major indexes for the month and for the year. And these numbers are as of the market close on September 25th, and the data is from stockcharts.com. So the S&P 500 index is up 2% for the month and up 19.07% for the year. The Dow is up 2.26% for the month and up 17.74% for the year. The NASDAQ Composite Index is up 1.44% for the month and 21.73% for the year. The IWM ETF that tracks the Russell 2000 is up 3.9% for the month and up 16.21% for the year. The International Index X United States is up 2.55% for the month and up uh, 16, oh, excuse me, Matt. It's all right. Hey, while you do that real quick, yeah. <clears throat> the uh, return on the Russell 2000 small cap, you know, I've been tracking that so far this month and to see it come back so much, Mark, um, was quite interesting. Um, almost 4% you mentioned there. Yeah, yeah, it's um, a good thing for the markets that uh, small caps have kind of led the way in September, I would say, because seasonally September has been a weak Absolutely. Um, month for the markets. Absolutely. Um, but then just adding on to the end of that, the um, international index X United States is up 10.76% for the year. Um the Treasury yields a three-month T-bill currently sitting at 1.89%. The two-year Treasury still sitting at 1.68%. And the 10-year Treasury bond at 1.73%. Starting to creep up a little bit. Starting to creep up a little bit, but the three-month um, annualized still yielding more than the 10-year, which to me still tells people people are pricing in um, you know more risk in the short term than sure. in the long term for right now. Absolutely. Um, so big news and headlines, um, current events from the week, kind of just list them off and we can kind of talk about them one by one. Yep. Uh, obviously us, China trade still ongoing. Yep. Um, wall Street's trying to figure out what the feds going to do at their next meeting at the end of October. Yep. Um, impeachment news, uh, swirling around as we mentioned before and Q3 earnings season kicks off relatively soon. So anything to note on us, China trade different from last week? No, rumor mill still strong um, about continued talks. I'll say this. Supposedly in mid-November, there is a, a summit in Chile where a lot of foreign leaders are going to be. I heard this yesterday. And that the rumor mill is that President Xi from China and Trump are going to try to have low and mid-level talks leading up to this. 
and that people are starting to speculate that they'll have the big hoopla um, video moment in Chile where they make a short-term deal. Yeah. That's just the latest rumor that came out yesterday. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. Yep. Um, The Fed, obviously, last week they lowered interest rates by a quarter percentage point. Um, You know, typically good news for the stock market in the short to medium term, but I think the market is still looking for more – of a firm nod from Jerome Powell, the Fed chair, on what their game plan going forward for the next several Fed meetings are going to be, and, and they haven't gotten that yet. He's completely non-committed to anything. Not transparent, essentially. Yeah, he's not committing to any sort of stance at all, mm-hmm. and, and that's creating the uncertainty. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Um, impeachment news, we're going to talk about that in a little bit here, yep. so I'll save that for a little while later. And then just a reminder to everybody, Q3 earnings season is kicking off soon. Um, so we'll see how companies begin to report with financials being the first major uh, sector to report early in Q3 earnings season here in a few weeks. So just to remind listeners real quick, that's earnings for publicly traded companies from July 1st through the end of September. They normally announce those earnings uh, mid-October to uh, mid-November. And the reason that this is uh, newsworthy is this tends to move the stock prices as these companies report earnings, update their forward-looking guidance if they provide that. And that's why we talk about it. Yeah. Because it really does affect these stock prices. Right. For sure. Especially in the short term. Yes. Yeah. Off of the earnings reaction. Um, so moving on to articles, tweets, and research for the week that we found interesting. The first thing that I had was I was listening to a podcast um, hosted by Niels Kastrup Larson. He's a veteran hedge fund manager with um, Dunn uh, mm-hmm. Capital Management. Yep. And um, it's on the podcast that he hosts called Top Traders Unplugged. And he had Daniel Crosby on the podcast, who's kind of a, um, a behavioral investor, um, guy, and I'm pretty sure he has his um, PhD in psychology, I think, but don't quote me on that. Um, but anyway, so Niels was talking to Daniel on the podcast, and Daniel was talking about investor behavior and investor emotion. And Daniel said that it's good to have goals, but what you really need is rules. He used an example of how everyone at New Year's has a goal to lose 20 pounds, right? So the gym <laughs> gyms are packed and everything like that. You're eating healthy for the first month of the year. Um, but he says you don't need a goal for that. You need rules, and the rules are that you go to the gym four days a week. And he relates this to investing and in that everyone has a goal to stay emotionless and calm. Um, but you know, you need to have a rule that you don't do X, Y, Z, you do ABC if this were to happen. And he cited a study that when people were to think about their kids before making a big financial decision, they were more likely to make a better decision. So I think this is really interesting. Um, and a, what a lot of people actually need is rules instead of goals. Um, I think it's fine to have goals, but you need to have a plan in place like we've talked about to achieve those goals. Mark, I think this is a great piece you picked. I think it's great to highlight. Um, so I thought it was interesting, too, about that study he cited when people um, were to think about their kids before making a big financial decision. Because if you're not in the right state of mind when you're trading or investing or making financial planning decisions, that could definitely affect the outcome of what you're trying to decide. Absolutely. I mean, we see it all the time. Someone being 
too conservative, too aggressive. You know, all that kind of plays into that psyche. Yeah, yeah. So I think, you, you know, this says you have to be in a good state of mind um, when you're making big financial decisions in your life. Um, you know, because it's the same thing if we're, you know, trading a stock on any individual day. You know, if a trader has stuff going on in, you know, his personal life that um, is not positive, then that can translate over to the work Absolutely. environment. That, and that can happen in any job, in any industry. Um, but I think it is really important having um, a set of rules that you abide by, especially with these short term volatile swings in the market Yep. Um, that you kind of, you know, stick to your rules and, you know, think long term and everything's going to be OK. That's right. Um, so I just thought that was, was a good piece. That was a good, good uh, piece on that podcast that I listen to on a weekly basis. So, um Matt, what do you got for us? I got next? a couple things, Mark. Um, both of these pieces are from Bespoke Investment Research from September 24th. And so for uh, some of the regular listeners out there, they'll know that um, uh, one of the independent research sources, Mark, that we subscribe to is Bespoke. Mm -hmm. um, really good kind of raw research that we don't kind of see across the street. So it's just a different perspective. This one had to do with consumer confidence. So when the figures came out recently here for September, Mark, they dropped. But that's not the whole story. When you dig down in the numbers, there's a big difference, Mark, between consumer sentiment in the present today and um, towards the future. So what they do is they ask both of those different kind of questions, present versus future. So Bespoke notes that when the difference is really big between what people think about today and what they think about the future, that could be another indicator um, of a recession. So um, they are very much apart, and um, that would be a recession signal. So here's the question. Will the assessment of consumer sentiment begin to break down from at a high level of a present today mark, and will it start to break down to catch up with pu people's future expectations? So with the uncertainty surrounding the upcoming presidential election, it doesn't surprise me to see this. And so I want to turn it over to you, Mark, and just see what your comments are. Yeah, no, I would fully expect that, that, you know, um, that people are uncertain about the future because, yeah. um, you know, especially when it relates to the market and to the economy, Trump has made some big changes since he's been in office that directly affect the stock market and the economy. Sure. Um, and if there's a chance that that stuff gets rescinded if he were to lose in 2020, then obviously I understand people's uncertainty and their worries about that. I.e. corporate tax reform as an example. Yeah, exactly. Just one to throw exactly. out there, so, which is really helps stocks yeah. in general. Yeah, so it doesn't, that doesn't surprise me to see uh, data like that right now. Um, but yeah, it's just not something else to keep in mind, I guess. Yeah, so for the listeners, definitely something that we keep a close eye on. You know, remember, the U.S. economy roughly is two-thirds driven by consumer spending, mm -hmm. right? So we're keeping a close eye on employment data, um, consumer sentiment, consumer spending. You know, we got a lot of data that we're taking a peek at. Yeah. All right. Got one more from Bespoke. Interesting statistic in regard to the impeachment news. Okay. So um, Bespoke looked at the last impeachment attempt, uh, which was Clinton. And from start to finish, the market did rally during that period of time, about 28%. But they said during that time period, which mark was about a year, um, at one point the market did sell off 20% during that period, but that was due to the Asian financial crisis, which was short-lived, not necessarily because of the impeachment. Yeah. 
So um, I'll give you my two cents in a second. I'm going to give you, I'll let you go first. Yeah, no, I just wanted to, can, do you remember, um, you know, what the Asian financial crisis was and, you know, what kind of happened during that time period? You know, I got started in the industry in uh, in 99. Mm-hmm. So I just know it had to do with uh, a lot of currency issues, yeah. uh, a lot of illiquidity in their markets yep. is the big thing that isn't I that, remember. Isn't that one... Um, wasn't there a Russian debt default around that period too, or something like that? I know they I, were involved with that too. Yeah, yeah. So there are other things at play there, but um, in essence, it wasn't because of the impeachment, but right? It did play into the statistic of the sell-off. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think. Well, yeah. When I think that any any time there's talk about a president getting potentially impeached, I think everyone automatically goes to the negative and says, well, markets have to be in turmoil when when that happens. And, you know, in the Clinton case, that's not necessarily the case all the time. Um, but I saw a, a tweet by Sentiment Trader um, who also touched on this. And, and this person said, two impeachments, two totally different results. And he kind of put a chart up there and gave uh, S&P 500 returns all the way from as short as one week after the announcement of an impeachment, um, all the way out to a year. So for uh, President Nixon, one month after um, the official presidential impeachment inquiry, um, this was in 1973, one month after this uh, inquiry, the S&P was down 11%. Okay. Three months after the inquiry, it was down 11.2%. And one year after the inquiry, it was down 33.4%. Now, when you look at Clinton, uh, which was in 1998, one month after the impeachment inquiry, the S&P was up 18.9%. <laughs> Three months after, it was up 32.9%. And one year after the inquiry, it was up 39.2%. There you go. So what does this tell us? Anything can happen, and there hasn't even been an uh, an uh, official impeachment inquiry yet. I mean, yeah. I think that there were that you know Nancy Pelosi, um, you know, announced that they were going to launch an investigation into it. But um, again, I don't I don't see this going anywhere just because of the Senate. I don't think the Senate is going to approve it. It might be, get approved in the House, but yeah, I would agree. I mean, from a stock market perspective, the way the market reacted tells you everything yesterday. The market actually moved higher into the close after the news came out. Yeah. So what does that tell you? Yeah. So there's not really, I don't think there's enough instances of impeachment inquiries that we can go back and say for sure we're confident this or that's going to happen just because, you know, going off Nixon and Clinton, that's only two examples. Yeah. At least it's just a data point where it's not just automatic doom and gloom. Right. Exactly. Exactly. it's kind of the message. Yeah. Um, financial planning topic of the week. Yeah. So um, this financial planning topic of the week is about passing money to the next generation effectively, kind of the do's and don'ts of that. And this stems from just stuff that we've seen recently in our own practice, Matt, yep. um, that I think could be very helpful because we've seen um, the negative effects that if you know this money isn't properly passed to the next generation and goes through the proper um, channels, I guess, of getting into the correct accounts, then there can be some major implications. Yeah. So the one that came um, full circle that we were um, assisting a new client with is it has to do with um, when their father passed away, um, he had a traditional IRA. So when money goes from one generation to the next, 
that money has to be placed, if you want to keep it tax deferred, has to be placed into a beneficiary IRA. Why? Even though the person inheriting the money might be under 70 and a half, which is the required minimum distribution age, that could be another topic, mm-hmm. um, they are still forced to take an annual minimum required withdrawal. Well, um, when the father passed away, uh, at the time, the, the uh, custodian who had the money mark um, accidentally put the rollover, uh, it was an accident or not, but they put it into her uh, personal IRA. Problem was, she wasn't taking the required minimum distribution. And if you don't immediately start doing that, you have to fully withdraw the IRA funds within five years. So it went from a situation where um, this client would have been able to take small minimum amounts and keep the bulk of the tax deferred for their retirement. But because this custodian put it in their personal IRA and didn't do any distributions, this client's now going to have to fully take out, withdraw this money, and have it counted as taxable income in like the next two years. Yeah. Which was just not the news we wanted to deliver. Mm -hmm. We couldn't control it, obviously. But now getting this completely fixed on this prior custodian, you know, they are um, not really helpful. Mm -hmm. And so now it's it's kind of a mess and... We're doing everything we can to help them rectify it. But um, I think really getting this stuff right and working with the professional to, to understand what you got to do when you pass money to the next generation, I think is pivotal. Yeah, yeah. What's your thoughts? Yeah, no. So just to, to clarify for everybody. So, you know, if um, just let's just use a real world example where, you know, my uh, dad has a 401k. Yep. And I'm listed as the beneficiary on it. Yep. So when he passes, that account needs to go into a beneficiary IRA in my name. Correct. But it's a beneficiary IRA that I inherited from my dad. Correct. And for me to keep that 401k money tax deferred, I need to take a required minimum distribution out of that every year. Because the IRS wants to get some of their tax money from that, right? That's right. So um, if people are, are, are wondering about this, you know, a beneficiary IRA is different from your own personal traditional IRA. Because if you have your own traditional IRA, you don't need to take required minimum distributions from that account until you reach age 70 and a half. That's right. But if you are inheriting someone else's IRA that has been left to you, aka you've been named the beneficiary of the account, it has to go into a beneficiary IRA and you have to take required required minimum distributions every year after the year that that person passes. Correct. And if you've inherited multiple IRAs, you have to keep them separate from the yeah. people you've inherited them from because their information, their dates of birth play into the RMD requirements. Yeah. Right? The calculator. So if you don't start taking RMDs from that account, like you said, the IRS makes you deplete that account within five years. Yeah. So you could hypothetically not take any withdrawals for the first four years, but then year five, you got to take it all out. Yeah. And, you know, if that's a good chunk of change, that could really bump you up a couple tax brackets oh, yeah. than what you're used to. And you could have a huge tax liability for that. Yeah, I mean, the reason this client figured out that they that the prior custodian did it wrong is they got a letter 
from the IRS with saying, hey, you know, you owe us thirty thousand mm-hmm. uh, dollars, just because they just lumped it all and added it to her income. Yeah. So that's the other thing, too, that the, this brings up is that you know you can't just assume that. The, whatever financial institution is handling this account is doing it correctly because obviously this wasn't done correctly Correct. in this case. Correct. Um, it is considered it a personal rollover. Is right. What they label yeah, it as. Yeah, exactly. Um, so again, when you're passing money to the next generation, when you're talking about IRAs or 401ks, these accounts need to go into these beneficiary IRAs so that from a tax standpoint, everything is kosher. Yep. I got one more along this line. I see this a lot where, uh, especially for 401k plans, when participants name their beneficiary, sometimes they just put my estate, and that's not what you want to do. No. Um, I believe that because if you can, if you have the ability to name specific people or a person, that will keep that money tax deferred or they would have the ability to do that like you just kind of highlight it, Mark, right? Mm-hmm. If they name the estate... That's a completely fully taxable event for the estate. Right. Right. So um, if you can avoid it, I'm not a fan of just listing my estate as the primary beneficiary. Yeah, exactly. And then what about, um, do you want to just touch really quick on if you're inheriting an after-tax account or a brokerage account, how that works? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's a good one. So any asset that was uh, purchased with after-tax money. Upon the um, date of passing of the account owner, of the account owner, uh, who's ever inheriting that account, the next generation, not a spouse, mm-hmm. but the next generation, they get a stepped-up cost basis as of the date of passing. So let's go through an example. Let's say that for me, I buy uh, ten thousand dollars of a specific stock, and that stock goes to fifty thousand, and then I pass. And I leave all that money to my three kids. They get a cost basis as of the date of dad's passing, me. And so, in essence, they could turn around, sell that stock with zero capital gains. Right. Right? So, it works the same way with like a a house or, say, an investment property or that second vacation home. You know, anything that was purchased with after-tax dollars they would get a stepped-up cost basis as of the date of passing. Yeah. Please note that, that listeners, this does not work for your spouses. So if um, you're married, spouse one passes away, spouse two does not get that stepped-up cost basis. Yeah. That's only when the money goes to the next, next generation. generation. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah, that's um, that's a big one. So um, you know, there's two different things there right the IRA is completely separate and a different um, a different way of how the assets go than if it's after tax money yep um, last one I'll throw out there because I know we can we can probably talk about this for hours Roths so if you have a Roth that goes to the next generation they still have an annual minimum uh, required withdrawal however the money that they're getting is also considered tax-free right if they take the minimum exactly yep, yep. Um, so yeah, so we just wanted to pass that along to everybody just because, you know, we've seen that come up several times this year. So, um, definitely want to pay attention to those things. And if you have any questions about that, don't hesitate to, uh, reach out to us because at the end of the day, it could make a a really huge, uh, 
or cause a really huge tax problem. It's always easier to fix things while you're with us. Fixing things when you're no longer with us is so much more challenging. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, very, very much so. Um, Well, that's all we really had for today. Um, Anything else before we wrap this up, Matt, that you wanted to um, throw out there? Uh, no, we're going to be at a conference next week, and we mm-hmm. will be taping uh, from the conference. Yep, uh, we're going to be in Denver, and our uh, broker dealer um, Commonwealth is hosting their annual national conference. So it's an opportunity for me, Mark, our other partner Eric, um, to kind of catch up on some continuing education, um, a lot of um, um, classes that we're going to be going to, and presentations. So we'll be um, re- um, recording live from a uh, different part of the nation next week. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then we're going to try to uh, take some things from a couple of the sessions that we've uh, that we've heard and try to implement those into the podcast. We'll do like a special conference podcast next week of I think it'd be great. Um, interesting things going on in the industry um, and, you know, possibly some other things that we learn about. Um, you know, things going on in the planning industry or financial technology industry that yep. would be beneficial for people to be aware of. Yep. Looking so, forward to that. Um, so, yeah. So until next Thursday when we're out in Denver, Colorado, we hope everyone has a great rest of the week and a good weekend. And we will talk to you from Denver next week. Take care, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Independent Advisors Podcast. If you're interested in hearing more, hit the subscribe button so you can be notified every time a new episode gets released. Feel free to share with friends, family, and follow us on Twitter at Jessup Wealth, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Mark and Matt will continue to share beneficial information on these social media sites. And also check out the podcast tab on their website. That's www.jessupwealthmanagement.com. Here you'll find links to every episode of the Independent Advisors. Have questions or topics you want to discuss on the show? Message us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or send an email with the words, questions, and topics in the subject line to mark at jessupwealthmanagement.com, and we'll talk about it right here on the podcast. Certain sections of this commentary may contain forward-looking statements based on reasonable expectations, estimates, projections, and assumptions. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance and involve certain risks and uncertainties which are difficult to predict. All indices are unmanaged and are not available for direct investment by the public. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This podcast is provided for general informational purposes only and does not constitute either tax, legal, or financial advice. Although we do go to great lengths to make sure our information is accurate and useful, we recommend you consult a tax preparer, professional tax advisor, financial advisor, or lawyer regarding your specific circumstances. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. No strategy can guarantee any objective or goal will be achieved. Advisory services offered through Commonwealth Financial Network, a registered investment advisor.